From coast to coast across America, it's the U.S. Property Podcast with the latest real estate news, interviews, and market trends. And welcome back to the U.S. Property Podcast from coast to coast across America with the very latest in real estate property news, trends, and predictions available, of course, on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast from. And this morning, we are catching up with Claire Buckner, who is the principal broker from Omnia Real Estate in the DC metro area. And good morning to you, Claire. Welcome to the US Property Podcast. Uh, Great to have you on. And first off, you are covering a, a wide area representing buyers and sellers. Now, I think that you're representing DC, Maryland, Virginia, and soon to be Florida. So my question is, what are some of the challenges when covering different states in the real estate sector these days? Good morning and thank you for having me on. Yes, it is daunting to be selling real estate in four different states. The D.C. and Maryland section of it is pretty simple because they're very, very protective of the consumer, consumer protection states. It gets a little more tricky when you also have Virginia, which is a buyer beware state. Uh, To give you a sense, they're all incredibly close proximity, but handled much differently. In D.C. and Maryland, you can have a residential sales contract that's upwards of 60 pages with all of the consumer protection language and bolded and capitalized text. But conversely, in Virginia, your contract can be 10 pages. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so you've, you've got to be on your toes for sure uh, covering such a, a wide area. Now, before we focus on 2024, what were a couple of uh, key things? Now, I'm asking principals right across the U.S. about this. What are a couple of the key things for you that really stood out in 2023? Because it was somewhat of an upside down year with a number of hot talking points. Well, it's funny that you ask that. I'm sure everybody says no inventory, right? Because that's sort of the obvious depressing fact of 2023. But I also think that it was interesting that 2023 went out very similar to the way 2022 went out, which is everyone was anticipating a recession that is yet to come. You know, in terms of the no inventory, it's interesting because uh, the sellers just simply don't, you know, everybody refinanced in uh, you know, 2020, 2021, when the rates were incredibly low. And so, you know, they're not willing to give up their house and buy a new house in a, in a six and a half percent market. You know, they, they're, they're waiting for those rates to go down and it is crushing the business right now. Now, you are not your standard real estate principal having come from the litigation world. You describe yourself, I think, as a recovering litigator with nearly 15 years of real estate and commercial litigation experience. And if there is ever going to be problems with uh, real estate transactions, the commercial property space is really where things can go badly wrong. Now, that is 
is not to say that residential doesn't go wrong because it does, but commercial is highly complex and can keep litigators pretty busy for that reason. Oh, you're absolutely right. Um, The big difference between residential and commercial, besides the obvious price point, right? If you're buying an office park, it's certainly a lot, many more millions than a home. But the other big difference is that it's commercial is really not very regulated. It's kind of the wild west of real estate. Um, And you have a lot of savvy, successful business folks involved And sometimes I think that maybe ego can get in the way where they're overconfident with their abilities and they uh, broker deals that maybe aren't in their best interest or perhaps have left some exposure somewhere that they didn't realize. And that's usually when the litigator comes in. As they say, in the end, everybody reads the contract, right? You just hope it's before rather than when something goes wrong and you have to litigate it. It's the far more expensive end of the uh, proposition there. Yes, and uh, you do work in both residential and commercial property. Perhaps for our listeners, clear this morning, give us a couple of things, two things that people buying commercial over residential don't always think about when making a commercial property choice. One of them is they don't really observe the zoning. So they will when they initially purchase, but say they're purchasing a, a strip mall. There are certain permitted uses and not permitted uses. You can have a retail space of something, but not a wholesale space, you know, that sort of thing. And over a couple of years, they sort of lose sight of that. They start leasing it out to tenants tenants next thing you know or warehousing you know using the space majority majority of the space anyway for warehousing and then suddenly they've got an inspector coming in saying there's a problem paying attention to zoning is key and especially zoning can also change so zoning is something they don't pay a lot to and i think real property commercial property investors don't always focus in on highest and best use and that means really they're leaving money on the table and particularly when it comes to, to leases, because leases are highly complex. There are many, many different aspects to, to leases that, you know, it's just an absolute nightmare for people to, to navigate. You can't do it by yourself. You definitely need legal representation to get you across the line. I couldn't agree with you more. I've negotiated many leases. And, you know, it is a little bit true that when you get the lawyers involved, things do get bogged down a little bit, but it's really for good reason. You know, it's a little bit of trust the process. You're right. There's a lot of nitty gritty, uh, you know, and that's what I go back to when I say, you know, in the end, everybody reads the contract. You get yourself a bill from your landlord that says you owe, you know, a piece of the common area maintenance and some of the property taxes and insurance and you're you're not sure what that means, well, it's because you have a triple net lease. That can be a pricey mistake if you don't really know what you're looking at and what you're agreeing to, to sign on to. Now, I want to take you back to October of last year. This was a pivotal October verdict. A jury ruling challenged the practices of major real estate brokerages, including NAR alleging fee inflation collusion. Now, this is what I'm talking about is the Sitzer versus National Association of Realtors lawsuit. And this resulted in a judgment 
moment. Now, can you explain to the listener, because the crux of this was about manipulation, broader implications about what took place with this case and what is likely to be the result for home buyers and sellers, what they need to sort of take into consideration? Yeah, it's complex. Uh, This was the Missouri case, and they found two main things. One was there was collusion between the NAR and several national brokerages, and I think some smaller ones as well. And then they also brought into question the seller paid commissions for buyer agents. Everything I've read, and this is actually, it's interesting in its absence. Everything I've read has really focused on the seller paid commissions rather than the collusion. I still haven't really read anything that covers in depth what the facts presented were that suggested everyone was colluding. I I know the business of real estate inside and out, and I don't know how that could possibly be. It doesn't make sense to me. Yes, and I think that at the time, you were definitely not alone in your thinking. This has certainly created so much doubt, so many different concerns within the real estate sector from different areas. And what really did throw people in this whole process was the threatening of sellers paying buyer agent commissions. That's what's really rocked everyone. In my opinion, my perspective, I mean, I went to a law school that taught law through economic theory. And, you know, if you look at it from an economic perspective, this case was a micro look into what goes on. So-and-so seller had to pay the commission's for their buyer's agent and they don't think that's fair or they felt like they were pushed into it or what have you. But if you go to a 30,000 foot view, it is the best bad option. If you look at our society and how it functions, if you do not have buyer's agents, you are going to really expose low-income folks, first-time home buyers, senior citizens, all those folks at the margin. Now, of course, a lot of folks will say, well, the buyer will just pay the commission of their own agent. But it's such an expensive process. It's uh, People are scraping together, well-to-do people are scraping together funds to get a deal done, right? To buy that next house. So it's not very realistic that they're going to pay, you know, two and a half, three percent, two percent to their agent in addition to all of the other costs they're incurring, especially those at the margin. So they're likely to forego or get a bargain agent and then they're not being properly looked after and cared for. And of course, going back to the whole consumer protective states, it's going to be a much bigger problem in consumer protection states, you know, for this reason. A listing agent, even if they're a dual agent, Well, if they're a dual agent, they have different ethical duties and it's not necessarily to really safeguard and protect that buyer solely like a buyer's agent does. So I think at the end of the day, seller paying buyer agents isn't really going to go away. We, we, we had that system a couple of decades ago and it didn't work, which is why we, we turned to the seller paying the buyer agent commission. 
So, you know, I think it's just a matter of perspective. If you if you push that lens all the way in, it seems unfair. But don't forget that seller who had to pay both sides of the commission is already going to turn around and go buy a property where they pay none. All right, yeah, that is such a big talking point, and I think we'll probably talk about that next time as well because I want to ask you about some contracts and just what that means in terms of running your own business. Claire, lovely to catch up with you this morning from Omnia Real Estate there in DC metro area, and thank you so much for coming on to the US Property Podcast this morning. Thank you. It was a delight. While we can't predict the future of the real estate market, we can provide you with insights on what's currently trending. It's powerful information at your fingertips on the U.S. Property Podcast. What makes Tulsa unlike any other city across America when it comes to real estate? And what is happening in your local area with regard to property? Basically across the U.S. and over the last 2023, we saw fewer houses, properties being sold. Oklahoma, Tulsa specifically, we are below the national average as far as home costs. So it's more affordable, the cost of living's lower. And so we also saw a dip in housing purchases, but we're growing in general. And so I'd say just in the first couple weeks of the year, we've already seen an uptick in activity in buyers and sellers. From powerful and up-to-date news to professional real estate experts with the latest property trends, know your property with the U.S. Property Podcast.